The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored by AnchorLight. For more information about all of AnchorLight's artistic and creative endeavors, please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. There are certain things in the history of art that you just expect, even if you only know the basics about art. You expect to think Andy Warhol when seeing someone riffing on a quadrant of screen-printed portraits. You expect to see Jesus looking strangely Caucasian with a flowing beard and long brown hair. And shout out to our pal Albrecht Dürer on that one. And you just expect gods and goddesses to be presented similarly. Venus is all lithe and beautiful, born on that scallop shell rising out of the sea. Diana, or Artemis, is a hunter goddess, so she's going to be coming at you with a bow and arrow. And Bacchus, the god of wine, he's a partying guy, holding a wine glass and looking great and ready to have a good time. But what if an image of Bacchus isn't quite what you're expecting? What happens if an artist challenges things, changes them up, not only modeling a god upon himself, but bringing that god down to an embarrassingly human level? Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, crazier, or more fun than you can imagine. Today, by popular demand, we are starting our new season of episodes that continue the theme of our last season. In season five, we will be dissecting single works of art that shook their contemporary worlds, covering another painting that causes waves. In this episode, we're looking at that scalawag Caravaggio and his strange painting, Young Sick Bacchus. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. To be fair, covering the life and exploits of Michelangelo Marisi di Caravaggio, not to be confused with Michelangelo Bonarotti, and today primarily known by the single moniker of Caravaggio, has long been a goal of mine on the Art Curious podcast. And indeed, his story, or aspects of it, were among the first that I considered when I was brainstorming topics for this show. As an artist and as a person, this guy was just epic. He pioneered a whole way of showing drama and emotion in art during the Italian Baroque period, and at the same time lived this insane life filled with violence and intrigue. Born in or around 1571, he was apparently scrappy at a very early age, though much of the scrappiness was out of necessity. Though not a ton is known about his childhood, we do know that he was only six years old when the bubonic plague hit his hometown and killed nearly everyone in his family, including his father, with whom he was really close. As writer Andrew Graham Dixon noted in his 2011 biography, Caravaggio, A Life Sacred and Profane, this was the formative moment of Caravaggio's life, the traumatic event that shaped his future. The loss of his father caused him to act out and sabotage his opportunities throughout his life, regardless of how good they could be for him. As Graham Dixon writes, quote, It's almost like he could not avoid transgressing. As soon as he's welcomed by authority, welcomed by the Pope, welcomed by the Knights of Malta, he has to do something to screw it up. It's almost like a fatal flaw, unquote. Orphaned and penniless, Caravaggio took up with a group of painters and lived on the streets, doing what he could to make a living for himself. My heart breaks thinking about this. 
a small child all alone, ingratiating himself to a group of strangers simply to survive. And one of the best ways for him to survive was to paint. When he was 11 years old, Caravaggio moved to Milan and began an apprenticeship with a painter called Simone Pietrzano. And a few years later, he moved again, striking out on his own to Rome, where he would soon call home. And there, he quickly became very popular, known as a talented artist and speedy artist who could complete a fantastic work in under two weeks if given the right materials and if the canvas was the right size. But that didn't mean that he was easy to work with. He was a bad boy who was involved in altercation after altercation before eventually murdering a man. For real, he really did murder someone. After which he was sentenced to death. But of course, Caravaggio's story didn't end there. He fled town to escape said death sentence, kept painting and painting some of the best works of the Roman Baroque period, and once again got involved in several violent struggles before succumbing, in 1610, of what was simply called a fever, while others have stipulated that he himself was murdered. Like I said, this guy was epic. But these are only the roughest of details of a grandiose and savage life. What's strange is that Caravaggio over time almost faded into obscurity because his everyday life was not well documented. He did not leave behind any journals or notes, and he was only rediscovered as an incredible artist after art historians really began to dig up into the authorship of some of the key works of the Baroque period. And I, for one, am so glad they did, because his works have solidified his place as one of the greats. Nevertheless, he is a little bit of a cipher, and early art historians in particular were left grappling for any clue in his artworks that would illuminate his biography. One minor clue to a period in his life might very well have come from our painting today. His young sick Bacchus from 1593. Before we tackle the surprises that this painting has in store, it's best that we back up and do a little bit of Greco-Roman mythology here. Bacchus is the god of wine and revelry, the Romanized name for the god originally known as Dionysus in Greek mythos. The story goes that Bacchus's daddy is really the big daddy of Roman myth himself, Jupiter, who did that thing that Jupiter typically does, which is that he hoisted himself down from Mount Olympus and, disguised, got hot and heavy with a human. In this case, it was Semele, the daughter of Cadmus, the king of Thebes. Soon enough, Semele finds that she is expecting a little bundle of joy. But this affair did not go over well with Juno, Jupiter's wife. And through some complicated, slippery machinations, Juno forced Jupiter to reveal himself in his god form to Semele. Now, here's the thing. Humans could not see the form of gods without dying. And this is why Jupiter, or Zeus as he's known in Greek, or indeed any others in the Greco-Roman pantheon, couldn't come to interact with people unless they took the form of something or someone else. So Semele sees Jupiter for the god he is and immediately kicks the bucket. But Jupiter, thinking fast, manages to save her child by sewing him into his thigh and making off with him to the far-flung Mount Promnos on the Greek island of Icaria. And there, a few months later, the baby, Bacchus, or Dionysus, was born from Jupiter's thigh. I know, it's weird. But hey, I didn't write it. Like the gods of ancient art and the saints and many other figures throughout art history, Bacchus has particular attributes. These are those things that you visually associate with a figure, 
the things that make them easy to identify who you're seeing in a painting or in a sculpture. It's like a visual shorthand once you learn them. So St. Peter is usually holding keys, for example, and John the Baptist wears this hairy cloak and sometimes hangs out with a little lamb, symbolizing the Lamb of God. Here are Bacchus's attributes. He's almost always pictured with grapes, vines, and a kylix, or a type of Greek drinking cup. And that was meant, of course, to be filled with wine. Because Bacchus is all about having a good time. For millennia, he had embodied this optimistic drunk, welcoming mischief among his followers as much as himself. Those who worshipped him, the Maenads and the Satyrs, who were female and male respectively, celebrated by drinking to excess, singing, dancing, cavorting, losing their inhibitions, and ultimately getting into all kinds of sexual adventures and misadventures. Or, you know, just plain trouble. Bacchus became the icon of both fun and folly. Have a great time, carpe diem, but just be cool, okay? So, how did Caravaggio subvert this typical rendition of the great god of wine? And why? That's coming up next, right after this break. Great art has the power to shed light on how people live, what they value, and what they can teach us. As listeners to the Art Curious podcast, I know that you love learning about this as much as I do, and that's why I know you will love The Great Courses. I am a big fan of The Great Courses. They are these in-depth digital video courses from top experts who are not only extremely knowledgeable, but also so passionate about their subjects. So recently, I've been watching their new series called Museum Masterpieces, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and it is a fantastic tour to almost every department of the huge Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. Over the course of 24 lectures, it will take you everywhere from ancient Greek and Roman art all the way through these amazing period rooms from the American Collection, which are some of my favorite galleries. This digital video series is exclusively through The Great Courses, and you get to keep it forever, and you can watch it anytime, anywhere. I know you will get so much out of Museum Masterpieces, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, so The Great Courses is giving my listeners this exclusive limited-time offer. Order this digital video course right now and get 85% off the regular price. That's $185 in savings, and you can start watching it immediately. But this fantastic deal is only available for a limited time and only by going to my very special URL. So don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com art. That's thegreatcourses.com art. The world's best designers know that the secret to creating an unforgettable space is Sora lighting. Sora Radiant LED is uniquely designed with full-spectrum technology so that you can see each and every color as nature truly intended it. So if you've ever walked into a great museum and wished that your home could look as vibrant, the answer could be in changing your light. Art curators and designers in the world's best museums know that Sora Radiant LED shows art with the full range of color and makes it look its very best. Because most LED bulbs have color gaps and they leave your space looking washed out and artificial. And for someone like me who really likes to have everything look beautiful in her home and in her work life, Sora is really ideal for me. I love how it really changes and affects the way I see my surroundings and plus, it really helps that the bulbs are dimmable so that I can control my lighting and make my house feel exactly how I want it to feel. 
Sora Radiant is the only LED designed with full-spectrum color technology to eliminate those color gaps, and it makes colors and skin tones look vibrant and real, the same as if you were in natural sunlight. Radiant doesn't buzz when you dim it, and it won't leave you with headaches. And they are all energy efficient, using just a fraction of the energy of incandescent bulbs, and it will last 10 times as long. So change your light and make your space look its best and most natural with Sora Radiant. For 15% off any purchase over $50, visit amazon.com Sora. That's amazon.com S-O-R-A-A and enter promo code ARTCURIOUS at checkout. Life can get really crazy sometimes. Between my busy young family, a full-time museum job, this podcast, and a few little fun side projects, and oh yeah, having a life, it's like I sometimes need to remind myself to take a breath. Modern life isn't simple, but a modern home can be. That's why I am so excited about All Modern. All Modern is an online-only destination for everything modern, everything from mid-century to Scandinavian to minimalist, but they are priced for real life, not for designers or for those with deep pockets. It's seriously simple, too. You can shop from home or on the go, find that sofa you saw on Instagram but for way less, and get it fast. All furniture ships for free, and most in just two days, not six to eight weeks like all those other stores. And All Modern even offers in-room delivery and assembly. I've been living with the same sofa for almost 20 years now, and I am way overdue for a fresh upgrade. So I've been using All Modern to keep my eyes on some pretty luxurious tufted sofas that will look so chic in my house. And best of all, their prices don't make me want to cry. New beautiful furniture is in my reach and it can be in yours too. So go to allmodern.com artcurious and use the promo code artcurious for 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's allmodern.com artcurious, then use promo code artcurious. All Modern, the style you love, the prices you want, when you want it. It's that simple. Welcome back to Art Curious. The image of Bacchus as a typically merry drunk began in antiquity and was instituted with a vengeance during the Renaissance, when all things Greco-Roman became hot again. Think of Michelangelo's David, all perfect and amazing, an improvement, many said, upon the designs of the ancient past. The obsession with antiquity didn't let up, and a couple hundred years later, when Baroque art came into its height, it was still a big deal. And Bacchus, the happy mischief-maker himself, was still a popular subject so it makes sense that Caravaggio would take a crack at it. And he did, a couple of times. His most famous, perhaps, is his 1595 painting of Bacchus located today at the Uffizi in Florence. This one isn't too far off from your normal depictions. Bacchus is young, with a rosy baby face, draped in white robes that open to a hairless chest and pretty swole arms, looking at us, the viewers, with knowing and kinda sexy hooded eyes. This is our merry reveler, and you know he's got something fun on his mind. He's holding a goblet of wine in his left hand, and he extends it out towards us. Join in on those good times. That's the way we expect to see Bacchus. But just two years earlier, in 1593, Caravaggio had painted a strange and slightly disturbing work, Young, Sick Bacchus, today in the Borghese Gallery in Rome. Here, his portrayal of Bacchus is interesting. At the bare minimum, Bacchus seems very hungover, which was extremely out of character for portrayals of this god. Earlier paintings, even the earlier versions that Caravaggio himself had made of Bacchus, 
show the god in his typical form, all inviting, lavish, and healthy. But here, he doesn't look so hot. His body is turned at a three-quarter angle as typical for many portraits, but his head is tilted back far with a pained grimace on his face. The traditional grapevine crowning his head is haphazardly intertwined with his curly hair, all messy. And even worse, Bacchus has yellowing skin and eyes and grotesquely pale blue lips. In fact, his skin is so discolored that it almost matches the green-yellow grapes held close to his face, and it oddly highlights the bright golden peaches set before him in a call-out to a typical still-life painting. Even worse, the dark background only serves to highlight that gross paleness in Bacchus's face. You guys, it's bad. This is more than just evidence of partying since the beginning of creation. Caravaggio here seems to be calling out to a specific, serious illness. But what exactly is this illness that Caravaggio is depicting? This question has plagued art historians for decades. But there seems to be some sort of clue. Many historians concur that after moving to Rome in 1592, Caravaggio fell ill and spent six months in a hospital. And it was during his stay at a hospital that he began working on young sick Bacchus. So due to this timing, art historians have long thought that this portrait could be a self-portrait of Caravaggio during that time. And what was it that Caravaggio was possibly suffering from in the hospital? None other than acute jaundice. Okay, so we know what Caravaggio may have suffered, but what caused him to come down with this jaundice? Around the 16th century, jaundice like this, of so-called unknown origin, was most likely caused by acute infective hepatitis, perhaps caused by an animal-transmitted disease, such as brucellosis or something called Q fever, which are both bacterial diseases commonly found in sheep, cattle, and even dogs. Caravaggio was somehow infected by probably an animal, so maybe he was bitten by a feral dog, or perhaps he came in contact with some infected animal bodily fluid. Or maybe, as some have suggested, perhaps Caravaggio was infected with malaria. We really can't know for sure. Ultimately, accurately diagnosing Caravaggio 500 years later is difficult, but often art historians can speculate. And if you listen to our Diagnosis Art History episode in Season 1, that's Episode 18 if you want to catch up, then you'll know that this has never stopped people from engaging in a little art historical guessing. So let's do that with this assumed diagnosis of jaundice. If Caravaggio was genuinely ill with jaundice, why would he depict himself as the young god of wine, transformed in such a grotesque manner? What does a typically merry reveler have to do with Caravaggio's own symptoms? Well, as an artist, he was an astute witness of the world around him, and surely he noticed many patients at his hospital who were suffering from the side effects of a life of excess. And what's something that many chronic alcoholics suffering from liver failure experience? None other than jaundice due to liver cirrhosis. And who knows? Caravaggio was himself a known imbiber, so perhaps his own liver ailments led to this yellowing of his skin and eyes. In this case, Bacchus may represent a mirror image of Caravaggio himself, coming to grips with his feelings surrounding his illness and his causes. Bacchus was the lively center of attention at any Bacchanal. He was known for indulgence and mischief, following him around wherever he went. Perhaps Caravaggio saw himself in this god, partying too hard, drinking too much. When he fell ill, 
he probably felt similarly to how Bacchus would have felt in actuality if he had been human rather than a god. Bacchus should have been worn, nauseous, and unable to maintain his good health. Here, in Caravaggio's image, he is defeated as his head tilts back, too exhausted to hold it upright. Now, Caravaggio's work isn't terribly shocking the way Goya's Saturn is or Artemisia Gentileschi's Judith is. Those two works are ones that we discussed last season on Art Curious. But here, he's personally playing with art history, presenting himself as a god. Or, more accurately, a god brought down to Earth to become mortal. Taking the gods and subverting art history in the process? Now that is truly shocking. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with additional writing and research help by Kelsey Breen. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com. Our logo is by Dave Rainey at daveraineydesign.com. And social media help is by Emily Crockett. Our production and editorial services are provided by Kabunki. Video, content, ideas. Learn more at kabonki.com. Additional audio editing is provided by Hannah Roberts. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by AnchorLight. AnchorLight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, AnchorLight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. For more details, please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. For more details about our show, including the image mentioned in this episode today, please visit our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Art Curious Pod, so follow us there. Check back in two weeks as we continue to explore the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in the shocking works of art history. Music